0: Welcome back to Season 11, Episode 12 of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, where we bring you the extraordinary lectures from the Doctors of Experience 2023. My name is Dr. Stefano Bini, and I am your host for the podcast series. In this next episode, we will hear from Dr. Mike Ast, as he brings us to part two of his session on the trends in the ASC. This old panel is also extraordinary, and we hope you enjoy their thoughts about where we're going with outpatient surgery. So please welcome Dr. Ast to the DocSF stage.
1: Up next, I'm going to call up our second panel of speakers. Again, I'll kind of do a quick intro as they come on up. This way we can get started. First, we're going to have Neil Badlani come up. Neil and I probably spend a little too much time together and probably should see our families a little more than we see each other. Neil's a spine surgeon in Texas. He's an owner of both an ASC and a hospital, so kind of really brings a unique perspective to it. After him, we got Tommy Wahlbecker. Tommy is the VP of sales and corporate strategy for a digital health-enabled company called Ospitech that we'll probably hear a little bit more about. Also has some experience throughout the logistics chain, having had multiple roles over his career within orthopedics. And finally, we have Oren Schill. Oren is the group president of operations for Health. SCA Health was rebranded. For those who don't know what that is, SCA Health is a surgery center branch of Optum Health, which is one of the largest pieces of United Health Group. There's no question that the three people up here probably know more about operations and logistics of ambulatory surgery centers than anyone we could ask for. So thank you all so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We just heard that all of these shifts are happening. We've heard that we're now doing shoulder replacements and hip replacements and spine surgery. Spine yeah. Is that a thing? They still Absolutely. do spine surgery? We spine have- surgery in ASCs. So Neil, how has that changed your center? How has this shift of high acuity cases changed the operations of your centers? What's different now that you have to consider?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a very team approach and everyone kind of has to buy in. I think there's a notion when a patient comes in for spine surgery that it's going to be a big procedure with blood loss and a long time in the hospital, right? So the surgeons have to buy in and they have to have the whole staff buy in, everyone from my front desk to my assistant, everyone sort of has the attitude and the approach that we're going to do this case and it's going to be a minimally invasive case and it's going to be done in a surgery center and the patient's going to go home and it's going to be fine. So everyone buying into that and educating the patient that way from the start. Our anesthesia partners are critical, as it was said before. So we have to be very careful with patient selection. So we know that when patients stay, it's usually a medical issue, a cardiac issue, diabetes, sleep apnea. So our anesthesia providers have to really help us understand which patients are safe to do in that space. And sometimes we have to say no. You know, if the BMI is too high or uh, we're concerned about a cardiac issue, then we don't do it. And then postoperatively, most of the reason that patients need to stay in the hospital is for pain. So we have to be more understanding of pain control. And again, that's where anesthesia can help us with multimodal pain management. Like for spine cases, we may use Lyrica pre-op, we may use Tylenol intra we may use uh, muscle relaxants post-op, steroids post-op. So really having that protocol in place to minimize narcotics, because a lot of reasons that patients can't go home are side effects of narcotics. And then we can have all those great protocols in place, but something still may happen that a patient needs to stay or a patient needs to be transferred. So we learned we want to have all those contingency plans in place from the beginning. It's happened very rarely, but if we need to transfer patients to the hospital, we need to know how we do that. What is the protocol? You don't want to be just sort of calling 911 at the last minute. And then another thing that you don't realize in the hospital, you have a lot of resources of other physicians. If we have an issue with bleeding, we don't necessarily have somebody on call, but we have had to call a vascular surgeon to help us out. So we just need to know that we have those plans in place. If we get a CSF leak and we have to fix it and we need a patient to stay for 23-hour obs, we want to make our 23-hour observation experience for the patient great as well. So we just need to have all those safeguards in place. Anything that could happen in the hospital could also also happen in the surgery center. So we want to prepare logistically to take care of all those things.
1: That's great. Now, Oren, literally the word operations is in the title of your job description. So what are some of the operational challenges you're seeing
3: in some of the surgery centers that you help to partner and run? First and foremost, it's making sure that the center that we're gonna introduce these service lines into can perform the surgery safely. So are the ORs big enough? Is the SPD big enough for the throughput? Is the PACU big enough for the flows of the patients? Because with these surgeries, they're staying longer than a typical surgery, and so we got to make sure that the flows are there. And then there's also, as you mentioned, the anesthesia. It's a huge issue for us now, especially here and I'm sure across the nation, but ensuring that we've got that coverage and then the staff training to ensure that our staff are trained because these higher acuity cases take more interactions with the patients preoperatively, operatively, operatively, and then postoperatively. So we want to make sure that we have all those pathways lined out.
1: And Tommy, you've sort of seen this from all three sides. You've seen it when you were helping physicians make the transition and help plan for their cases in these surgery centers. You've now seen it from the operations of actual surgery centers and also from digital solutions to some of these problems. So what are the logistical, give me two big logistical changes, big logistical challenges that surgeons have as they're starting to take these in traditionally inpatient cases and bring them to surgery centers?
0: Well, I think when we start looking at the shift from the hospital into the inpatient or into the ASC setting, we're seeing a lot of problems with the equipment, right? That's been brought up. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. How do we prepare for that? And then the sterile processing has been brought up several times during this meeting. But when you start looking at and seeing that view coming in from the outside and looking at from a surgeon perspective and the administrative perspective, and also looking from the vendor perspective, there's a lot of trays that are coming in there. And how do we optimize that? And so that's the biggest probably challenge that we... I heard a couple talks yesterday. How do we bridge that gap from clinical all the way back onto the other side of the football field that was mentioned yesterday?
1: And if anybody gets time to pull JP aside, he does a lot of work in sort of the pre-planning for surgery. And I think that has a lot to do with those logistical challenges of storage, of sterilization, of infrastructure management, because a lot of these centers are little and hospitals are big. And that really actually makes a big difference. So if you were thinking about it, Tommy, and you're looking at it from all three of the lenses that you like to use, what is the logistical
0: challenge that keeps you up at night? The logistical challenge that probably keeps me up at night, thinking about it, the solution that's out there, is, is probably resonates with me. As we talk about a lot of it as patient satisfaction, trying to make that patient feeling great. I personally have had some family members going into that space, or you know, having surgery this year, and being you know, not getting into specifics of hospitech, but knowing that being aware of what your loved ones are doing, and right now keeping me up at night, that's probably the biggest thing. But also providing the real time KPIs to allow for your customers to be the most efficient they can be. Orin what do you think? What keeps you up at night? What keeps your team up
1: at night saying, boy, we've got 250 surgery centers around the country. They're all feeling this shift. They're seeing this shift. What's keeping you up at night to try to make sure it all goes smoothly?
3: I think one of the biggest things is, again, the physical plant to ensure that we have, when there's a need in the community, that we've got a physical plant that can handle it. I've got one in L.A. right now where uh, we have physicians that want to come and we don't have the SPD space. We can't do anything with the center, so we're not going to be able to do it. So how can we ensure that we find a solution that may be outside the center to be able to do these? And I would say the second one is anesthesia. Again, just because we need to not only find the coverage, but the right coverage, as was mentioned in the clinical portion. It's very different type of care that they do on these high acuity cases than they do normally.
1: And Neil, as our surgeon representative of this panel, what keeps you up at night from an operations or logistics perspective as you're running these big centers doing lots of high-acuity cases? Yeah, as we've been saying, I mean, there's space issues, right? In in the spine,
2: we need a big table, we need a microscope, we need a C-arm, we need a lot of trays, and we're moving to an ASC, which is usually a smaller space. We're trying to do something that's sort of disruptive to the hospital And in spine surgery, we continue to sort of invent bigger, fancier, more expensive things, right? It almost goes against what we're doing. So we need to kind of think about doing robotics or doing navigation with something that's more efficient and smaller and cost effective. We need to think about not having 57 trays for our spine case, right? So it's the space, the logistics of that. And then cost, all of these things that we invent are costly and they don't necessarily increase your reimbursement. And when we move to the ASC space, one of the reasons we're moving there is to contain healthcare costs, but that also means the reimbursement for spinal fusion in the ASC is 60% of what it is in the hospital. But if the implant cost is the same, then the margin becomes not doable anymore. So it's thinking about reimbursement systems, thinking about the cost, really maybe working with our industry partners and figuring out ways to decrease costs so that we can be in the ASC space and still have it make sense for the bigger cases.
1: So I think all of those bring up the point that we're trying to do more with less, more in a more constrained environment. And in almost every other field we've ever heard of, the answer to that is technology. Some new technology, one way or the other, that's going to allow us to do more with less. So Oren, what are two points of pain for you at the moment that you think technology has an opportunity? And you don't have to, there doesn't have to be a solution yet, but sort of what are two pain points you think technology could help you with?
3: I think one of the biggest is the interface with the patient themselves and with the surgeon and there's some platforms out there whether it's One Medical or Hospitech that help us interface with the patient preoperatively to ensure that they're doing what they need to do with their family operatively so that they know where they are and then tracking outcomes and more so satisfaction post-operatively. And then one of them, Dr. Weir talked about yesterday was tracking the actual outcomes live would be very helpful.
1: Well, I don't want to turn this into a uh, sales pitch of any kind. So not including what you do for a living, (laughs) what are two other parts of the logistics chain, operational chain that you think
0: technology could help in? I do think, you know, Dr. Benny mentioned uh, connecting those dots, and there's a lot of solutions out there that we can connect those dots on, And I think when we start looking into even some of the most complex, and we take the most complex orthopedic cases, let's say trauma, where you don't know you're coming in, how do we, again, getting back to the sterile processing? I think there's a lot of technology help that can help out in the sterile processing, and even on the back table, and we see some of those solutions today, but a lot of them out there, and what's the best one, and, and what's the best one for your facility? And
1: Neil, I'm going to sort of give you the same question, but it's going to have a little bit of a different focus because you brought up something that I want to sort of conclude with as we start to wind down here is cost, ROI. And ROI looks very different in different situations. ROI looks different from different lenses. So first part of the question, and I'll repeat it later in case you forget which is which. First part of the question, where do you think technology really can help us? Sort of same question, give us two. But then second question. When you look at technologies like this, when you're evaluating a new technology for your ASC, how do you look at cost? What does ROI mean to you there? And how is that different than what it used to mean to you when you were an orthopedic surgeon that went to the hospital on Tuesdays and did their two spine surgeries or three spine surgeries and went home? Yeah, this is a lot. So in terms of technology, there's just so many
2: opportunities to make things more efficient and better in the patient space for a spine surgeon. So we have a lot of equipment, microscopes, navigation, robotics. So something that allows us to do image guidance efficiently with a smaller footprint, Something like Augmedics, augmented reality may be better than robotics. Another clinical concern for a spine surgeon is blood. So if I do an anterior spine, like a lumbar disc replacement, that really is a case that we should be able to do in the ASC, but there's a chance of bleeding in that case. So bringing in the cell saver to the ASC, having blood on hand to store in the ASC, those are logistical and clinical challenges we really haven't figured out well enough. So I think there's a role of technology there. And then when a spine patient leaves the hospital, usually they stay in the hospital for several days, so I can make sure they're doing okay. But when they go home, I don't know. So remote patient monitoring, remote patient therapeutics, as you alluded to, and as some of the people here are doing, I think is really helpful and and come a long way to helping us have the patient go home and still feel like we're able to oversee their improvement. The second question about value and return is very, very interesting. I've been on both sides of sort of the equation for that. So I've been part of a surgery center for 12 years. There's about 12, 13 of us in the surgery center. We're from different orthopedic groups. We've got a couple ENTs in there. And the good thing about the center is it is still existing 12 or 13 years down, right? It, it's been profitable enough. There's times when it's very profitable and times when it's barely profitable, but it's survived. And part of it is because all of the surgeons are dedicated to that one center and everyone is sort of cheap with their own money. So we don't really make a lot of big capital purchases. And so I think that's been good in the sense of like not extending and not spending too much and staying profitable. But At the same time, I think it holds us back a little bit. On the other side, I've been part of a surgery center company that didn't do so well. And one of the things we didn't do a good job of was making sure our surgeons were dedicated to the money we were spending technology on. So buying a big robot, you know, attracting surgeons initially, but the enthusiasm kind of wore out and then you've got the cost of the robot, right? So I think what I learned is like just buying something because you think it's going to be great for marketing, interesting, new, isn't great. It has to be something that clinically improves what you're doing for the patient and you need surgeons to really buy into it. So if you have that, the clinical benefits, surgeons buy into it, dedicated surgeons, and the return is at least reasonable, then it tends to be better in the long run.
1: Now, Oren, Neil just blew my mind because he implied that at times, surgeons are not reasonable and not great at business. And that's the first time I've ever heard that. That seems crazy to me, but how do you deal with that, right? Does the ROI in some of your investments in technology Is it pure ROI? Is it here's in and out of money and how it works? Does it ever take into account surgeon satisfaction, surgeon desire? Does it ever take into account competitive dynamics? The ASC down the road has this, does this? How do you view sort of the investment in technology from
3: that bigger picture lens? Yeah, for us it's ROI always has a tangible and an intangible component to it. There's always a financial component. It's very easy to run that ROI because you're right. We'll buy them and they don't come. So we got to make sure that there's the buy-in that's there. But more importantly, it's the intangible pieces of increasing physician satisfaction, efficiency, patient satisfaction, and then is it going to give us a competitive advantage in a market? And not because the surgery centers down the road is doing it, but more so because they're not. So we want to be the first mover and get the technology if we have the patients to support it and the surgeons to support it. But it's very important to make sure that they're gonna come if you're gonna buy it because we don't get reimbursed for it in the surgery center. We don't get reimbursed for the technology.
1: And now just a quick follow-on question to that. Where do you find these technologies? Where do they come from? Is it cold calls? Is it the surgeons bring you ideas? Is it your company from a top-down perspective says, hey, here's a best practice from another center that we run? What's the mechanism by which
3: you identify these technologies? Most commonly, it's from our surgeon partners that bring it and say, this is a cool technology and it'll help us here. But at SCA Health, we also have a strategic service line team nationwide that works with our centers and with us on the operations side that tries to look around corners and identify these things that can make us more competitive, more efficient. And then they'll bring into the surgery centers when we're introducing a spine service line or a total joint service line, things like that.
1: Now, Tommy, not to go into like trade secrets or to make you violate any NDAs on conversations you've had, but when you are bringing a new technology to a surgery center, how are you describing your ROI? Are you describing it in dollars and cents? Are you describing it? No, you have to understand this is what's going to drive patient satisfaction. Like how do you, when you're making that, when that conversation is happening and how's it different when it's happening with Neil or Oren, when it's happening with the surgeon or when it's happening with the administrative side?
0: Well, working with the AACs, there's so many stakeholders, right? I mean, you have the staff that's been doing the same, we talked about this this week, been doing the same process every single day. They don't wanna to go to new technology, or if they were haunted by the EMR in the early 2000s and they just don't wanna to go to it. But I think the biggest ROI is, still decisions have to be made, right? So that's probably the biggest take. If I'm talking to a surgeon or if I'm talking to uh, an SEA uh, operations, they still have to make a decision. And Dr. Warner just mentioned that he puts all his surgeons up a list and it's peer pressure, right? So that's the ROI, right? And so technologies can enable that, but taking action is really where it's at. So when we're going to the ROI is, do they want to do more cases? Do they want to send their staff home? We talked about the cost per minute. How do we start to optimize that? And that's finding the right stakeholders and who's going to adopt the new technologies and try to realize real ROIs is what we try to capture when I'm talking to them about it. And Neil, real quick before we finish, how
1: has the role of the surgeon changed as we went from widget makers to business owners? We went from doing the discectomies and sending them who cares where to thinking about the ROI on the technology we're using. How, how has that changed the way we practice? Yeah, I mean, it's put more responsibility
2: on us. And I think that's good, right? I mean, I think that most surgeons went into practice because they wanted to have as much independence and sort of be their own boss. And so you have to understand the financial implications of what you're doing as well. Uh, I think we have to realize that like healthcare costs are skyrocketing and the shift of surgery to the outpatient setting is probably the way that we can most significantly decrease cost of care, and that's our responsibility more than anyone else. On a individual day-to-day basis, when I'm in my surgery center and I know I'm an owner in the surgery center, I think about cost, right? Like if I know I can get through this one level ACDF with just like one gel foam patty and no other fancy things for blood loss, then that's what I'm gonna do. I'll have the flow seal in the room, but I won't open the flow seal because it costs $500, right? And then on a more broad-based perspective. If we're going to be serious about this, and as Dr. Warner alluded to before, I mean, we're going to try to manage the cost of musculoskeletal care. We're going to try to take on a leadership role and go with gain sharing. So orthopedic surgeons should be the ones that are managing knee pain and shoulder pain and back pain and taking that population and figuring out the best way to spend money on it. And right now other doctors are doing that, but we're the ones that understand who really benefits from surgery. You know, It's efficient to do surgery on this patient rather than have them do six years of physical therapy and back injections and things like that. right? So it's good that we should be in that role and more of us should relish that opportunity.
1: Great. Well, thank you all so much for your time, for your input. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Digital Orthopedist podcast. If you find the talks as incredibly informative and topical as we did, please do share this podcast with your friends and leave us a nice review on your podcast player of choice. It would mean a lot if you did.